On today's show, we have on Scott DeCourt from Word and Deed Ministries. We talked to Scott about his background, what inspired him to get into the line of mission work, and then different types of mission work and what Word and Deed does specifically. Then also, um, yeah, going forward, what are the best ways to, to do mission work? How can you get involved? How can you support um, the efforts of Word and Deed and, and other organizations as well? So it's a very cool episode. Uh, we appreciate Scott coming in and taking the time, and we hope uh, you learned as much as we did. So without further ado, here is Scott DeCourt. Well, we so, are here for, what is this, episode 17? I think so. Don't ask me. Yeah. yeah. So it comes after 16, 17. I edited yeah. the last couple, but I don't remember. Yeah. It's all been a blur. But today we are, yeah, happy to be joined by Scott DeCourt. So Scott is from uh, Word and Deed Ministries. And maybe, Scott, yeah, introduce yourself, man. What's your background? What, who's Scott DeCourt? Let us know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a privilege to be here on Real Talk. Hopefully today we have some real talk on global missions and international development. Indeed. Uh, I'm Scott DeCourt. I work for Word Indeed. A um, little bit of background on myself. Yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. Where are you from now? Yeah. Uh, where am I from? Grew up in Niagara region in Reformed Church. Went to Reformed school, grade school, high school. Yeah. Ended up going to Brock University for business administration degree. Really? I almost um, took that program. You did almost? Almost, yeah. You went to Mac, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, I was like, ah, Mac Brock. Clearly, Brock. Let's go to stick at Brock. It was great. It was a great school for business. Yeah. I really, yeah. really liked it. Yeah. Cool. And there is a bit of a story how I got from business focus to missions focus. Right. Yeah. Tell but, it. Um, yeah, here we go. Spill the beans, man. We have, yeah, <laughs> we have a All long time. <laughs> Half the can, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> So starting in high school, I kind of had a pull towards, you know, maybe becoming a pastor or something like that, something involved in kingdom work full time. Yeah. Didn't really know what that looked like. Wasn't clear in my mind. Yeah. Um, then I grew up in a, a Dutch family with a landscaping company and I'm the oldest in the in the family. Right. So the only guy too, the only boy. So I had a responsibility to, you know, as any good Dutch boy would his family landscaping company yeah, take over, take it <laughs> yes. over yeah. as any dutch boy has the classic tradition goes the it's local a, it's, it's a little bit of a cultural thing around here on the way over i asked lucas do you yeah. think he's from the landscaping company <laughs> i said yeah yeah probably yeah so <laughs> i am um anyway i had had that responsibility on me of you know worked eight summers in it kind of learning the ins and outs of it maybe i should go into business start to take over that kind of future thinking for mm -hmm. career wise mm -hmm. Going through Brock, everything is about money, right? Business. Why are you in business? Well, you to make money. Yeah. Okay. And that kept getting pressed upon me. Went to, I did an accounting internship, did a stock market investment internship, and yeah. everything was about money. Uh, and I kind of got sick of that, hearing that. Mm. And I wanted to say, is it, and there's got to be more to life, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ. That's what's mm -hmm. going to last. And does money last? No. Anyway, my third co-op after the first two, I went to overseas, went to Africa, a small country called Malawi, started a chicken company there, um, oh, which is, yeah, yeah, to grow meat chickens, broilers, and, uh, and then sell them 
with the hope that that profit would be used to grow a local seminary there, a mm-hmm. theological seminary. Cool. Yeah. So cool. it was volunteer based, but such an eye opening experience for me using my business background in, in a mission kind of setting. And that really opened my eyes to a global perspective, huh. as well as doing um, traveling across Europe. Uh, when I went to an international business school in France, got an experience to see different cultures, get a little bit of a global mindset. And um, I remember sitting down one night, I was creating a, a book, a workbook called The Basics of Biblical Business for um, the seminary that I was you know, helping out with this chicken farm, but I was also teaching some business course there as well for pastors. Okay. Um, and it kind of struck me like, you know, money can be used for good mm. and so much good in, in the Lord's kingdom. And that kind of shifted my passion. I said, for the rest of my life, one night every week, I want to do something for the Lord's kingdom. Just one night, just Thursday nights, let's say. Mm. Yeah. And Maybe I challenge you two with that too. Like, interesting. Take one night and just want just dedicate to the kingdom, whether it's church work, whether it's outside of that. Hmm. Little did I know I would end up full time in mission work. Yeah. Um, at that point, but that was kind of a pivotal moment. Um, and then coming back, finishing my business degree. Before I even finished, I saw this application on Facebook for Word Indeed Ministries. Not thinking much of it, while still in Africa, I applied sent in a, you know, some of my past, my history, Mm -hmm. didn't really think I would get hired or, you know, into it, went through a couple rounds of interviews, some testing, you know, what was the position? Position is for what I mean now, current job, current job is for public relations. Yeah. And so that means um, talking to schools, churches, businesses, um, donors here in North America, inspiring them about stories happening around the world. Yeah. But oh, the other yeah. half of my business is, or the other half of my job is to work alongside of local partners in Central and South America um, to develop their projects. And we can get into that more, but yeah, oh, cool. that's kind of where the Lord had brought me. And so yeah. it's humbling to be where I am. And I've been there for two years now, Word Indeed. Cool. cool. So I have a lot to learn in terms of global missions and yep. international development yeah. so much. Yeah. So I'm not a expert, you know, <laughs> I can't say I'm an expert in it, but it's just something I really want to share with yeah, everyone, sure. young well, people, old people, like yeah, yeah, what the Lord cool. is doing. No, I think it's it's in a similar vein as, as what we're doing mm-hmm. with the podcast here too. Like we don't pretend to come with any sort of high level of expertise, but we're interested in in learning fundamentally, mm-hmm, and then also sure. just having the conversation. So you, yeah, with sure. your experience, I think will be able to. Yeah, open up kind of a new lane and yeah, new cool. world for our audience and for us too. So yeah. it's exciting. Great. You're like the first guest who laid out uh, an outline for for us and one that we like didn't even touch. So, <laughs> okay. so this, is, this is great. Yeah. Uh, right. You made our life way easier and this is going to be awesome. So I want to ask you a question because I'm also, I was also in business in university. Yeah, um, sure. How do you use your business degree in your in your job now? I always get asked that. Yeah. Now it's a little easier because I own a business, but right. before you're like, oh, I don't know. But <laughs> um, I think I use it every day. Critical thinking, um, dealing with finances and missions, how to wisely steward money given to us and, and, and use it overseas. Um, working with people, human resources, 
working with marketing, public relations, yeah, yeah, yeah. social media, videography. Yep. Cool. In a way, the Lord was really preparing me through that business course to be where I am. Yeah. And he, he does that in, in most people's lives too. You know, mm-hmm. when you're 16 to 18 and you're like, what am I going to do? I'm stressing mm-hmm. out over it. I'm thinking about it so yeah. much. Honestly, the Lord will lead you step by step as mm-hmm. long as you're willing to be steered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to go and do things, but yeah. You're right. right. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. You can't steer a parked car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. So, oh, that's a, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's a little sound bit I'm going to pull out of here. <laughs> there that's, you go. <laughs> that's great. It's got the cord. That's a good. That's a good car. answer though. Because yeah, um, yeah, people always want to see like a direct uh, relation to to a schooling, but this is like, I mean, it's it's a great story how you get into this, and you know, I think it's just going to be good work. So, so you were chicken farming in Africa. What was the country again? Yeah, Malawi. Malawi. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just yep. about South Africa, near the southern part of Africa. All right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that was with your school program, like at Brock? Or was that a, a mission thing separate from, from Brock? It was through Brock. Okay. It, I was part of the co-op program, which gets you involved in different companies, etc. And so I, uh, through the Lord's leading, I got led to an organization working there. And they said, hey, we, we have this opportunity for you to work there. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it was the third co-op opportunity, but I came back and a half year later, I got an award from the 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 head of the Goodman School of Business for going and for doing something based on volunteer, so not being paid and an international co-op. They'd never seen that before. Hmm, cool. <laughs> yeah, and I was totally taken aback by that. And that what an opportunity for the gospel. Like mm-hmm. I went for a theological seminary, you know, a Christian working overseas. Yeah. So yeah. such a such a neat opportunity to be a light in a secular university too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Totally. That's fascinating. So then you mm-hmm. heard about Word and Deal on Facebook and you're like, well, I'm here doing mission work. How long did you go there? Like three, three, four months? Okay. Four months. Four yeah. months. Yeah. Okay. It was a very, just a Kickstarter just to get it started. Yeah. And yeah. then it, up to the locals to take ownership of it and gotcha. go, go cool. with it. Did you know anything about chicken farming before going there? <laughs> Great question. Landscaper. Yes. Yeah, I knew oh, how to lay stone and, uh, you know, but I didn't know anything about chickens, but they knew about chickens and they knew about local chickens. There's there's special different yeah. varieties of chicken. So not a farmer by any means, but um, oh, yeah. cool. it's not about what you can always bring. No, it's about what they have available and you can help them organize and, and teach systems, systems, business. business. Systems. There you go. There yeah. you go. Cool. Clicking in. Cool. Well, because so, we had an actual like chicken farmer because Mike Hutton is a chicken yeah, farmer. Right. Yeah. So I'll be interested if yeah. you get them both on at the same time and they can talk oh. chickens. Not <laughs> yeah. that people are that interested in that. Um, yeah. Sure. yeah. I wanted to ask you, what is, so what does Word and Deed do? Like, let's explain explain to mm-hmm. us like what what's the thrust of Word and Deed as, a, as an organization? And then, yeah, I guess your role there, but mm-hmm. like you said, you're in public relations um, and raising, I guess, raising money for for this work. And that, um, yeah, so tell us about the work. So Word Indeed is a ministry that works with like-minded believers across different denominations, and we're reformed a relief and development organization. So it's a diaconal kind of ministry that works in relief, meaning natural disasters, et cetera, even COVID food relief this past year, and then development, which is longer term, um, growing different partners around the world, growing projects, whether that be schools, you know, in Haiti, whether that be medical clinics in Guatemala, um, an AIDS clinic in South Africa, 
theological seminary in Malawi, Indonesia, mm-hmm. all, all, we do all different kinds of work. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And so we've been around for about 25 years. I think this is our 26th year. And um, we strive to serve the physical needs of the most poor. Mm-hmm. So the deed and also the spiritual needs. So the word, word and deed, mm-hmm. spiritual and physical needs. So how does that differ from other um, organizations that, that like, how, how does your model differ? Mm-hmm. So we kind of have three pillars upon the way that we work that determine our strategy, that determine the way that we work with partners. Mm-hmm. And so first it's gospel centrality. We believe that the gospel has to be at the center of every single project that we do, or else we will not see lives transformed and we will not see development take place. Hmm. So that means working alongside of local churches. Uh, that means working when needed in, in training, you know, teaching about um, different doctrine, growing believers um, in their local setting. Secondly, that's dealing with indigenous leadership. So we do not send um, Westerners to the projects to work on them and to grow them. And that is done by local believers, local Christians in their environment. They already understand their culture. They know their language. Um, they know the problems that are facing their community. And so we work alongside of them, our partners, you'll hear that partner, mm-hmm. um, to grow and develop their community. Thirdly, um, we desire to have our projects become self-sufficient. So what that means is that we hope that projects do not become dependent on foreign funding, like, mm. like word indeed. We don't want to be with a project for many, many years. We want to see them develop and grow <coughs> and look to their local community for funding and, and grow that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so it is, I guess this plays into your business degree, but it, sure. I guess it, it uh, um, it's more about building the business so that it's profitable so that it, it can sustain itself and not be reliant on funds from, you know, say the West or from just sponsors mm-hmm. or, or from donors or, um, yeah, I feel like how right. maybe that's how uh, a lot of missions are set up. Like a lot of times when our missionaries are sent they're they're being funded by a mission aid board or our mission board. Yeah. Um, and that funding is continual because it needs to be, I guess they got to feed their families and stuff. Um, but I guess this is different, right? Building, building organizations that can sustain themselves. So yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Yeah. And when you get into it, it's really interesting to see that on a global scale. So since the 1960s, $3.2 trillion from the world bank has been given out in government aid to developing countries. Wow. And some people look back and they say, what has happened over the last 50 you know, 60 years, where has all that aid gone to? And mm-hmm. sure, it's it's gone into buying mosquito nets for people in Zambia. It's gone into um, immunizations for children and it's done many good things. But the work is not ongoing because the people themselves, their mindsets are not changed. And so that is kind of a key um, lesson that's been learned in the global development world and one that can be biblically answered too. So via local partnerships is kind of what you're saying. Via local partnerships and, and an understanding of independence and that people themselves have dig- dignity. They have, yeah, you know, they have self-esteem and 
not in themselves, of course, in the Lord, but yeah. they can work to, you know, grow their local small business and maybe with a microfinance institute, they can grow a local school and, and with that, the church too. Yeah, no, there's, there's mm. definitely pride and, and dignity in work, right? Which is a very biblical concept as well. Yeah. I, I did, um, the one, I guess, mission experience I have is in high school, I went to Kentucky. Yeah. This was with SWAP, which was serving with Appalachian people. I went too. Once. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a great trip. I had a fantastic time. And I think the cool thing about SWAP was um, that it wasn't just like handing out money to people. It was mm -hmm. like the the homeowner was invested in it. Like they had a sense of, of, of pride and dignity in the work because they would pay for the cost of the goods, the cost of the materials. Yep. And then we would provide the labor and the, the expertise for free here. Expertise is in scare quotes perhaps because you're a bunch of 15 year olds Teenagers, and a couple of yeah. Yeah, 20 yeah, year olds. I asked you about that. You didn't even know what you were doing. So yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't. But you were digging holes and putting poles in and whatever. Yeah. Did, no, so. we, yeah. We right. just, it helps out people, you know. Mm. So that was, that was a fun trip. And I think it was, it was a useful and helpful thing, but maybe does that get into, um, I guess the way you guys like view poverty in terms of it isn't just giving away funds. It's, it's also, yeah, it's also helping people to, to grow their own community and to kind of, yeah, like you said, kind of have a sense of agency as well. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. they like, do you guys have a, a working definition of poverty at word indeed? Well, um, or how does Scott, the Bible has a working definition enough, of poverty. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe not clearly spelled out word for word. Oh, that's poverty. Yeah. But um, poverty can be seen. Let me ask you the question. What do you think poverty is? Hmm. What, is po what is poverty? And just open, open mind. Well, obviously lack of money, but right. I think it's more than that. It's more. Um, it's no way up. No hope. No yeah. Way up. yeah. I think that's like debilitating almost. Right? Like it's. Yeah. Poverty is also kind of a mindset in a way. Not mm -hmm. that you choose it necessarily, but I think once you're can stuck be, yeah. in it, yeah, you, but it, yeah, it has a lot of factors. Obviously, like you, you can. I mean, there's there's certain political factors that that yep. feed into that, and and yeah, obviously circumstances with like if you're trying to be, you know, you're trying to farm, but you know, you're not really, you're kind of sitting in a desert or something. Like, I mean, it's also a generational thing too. Like, if your parents and their yeah. parents and their their parents, and there's obviously tons poor, to it. But yeah, in stuck. essence, I mean. It's stuck in a system. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of money. It's a lack of money and opportunity. And thing, I think. Yeah. 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 So the reason I ask is because the way that we define poverty or we look at poverty will define how we respond, mm -hmm. how we try to solve poverty. Yep. Um, so a very helpful book on this is When Helping Hurts. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's the recommended read okay. for everyone mm -hmm. who goes on a mission trip or before a mission trip. When helping her, it's produced by the Chalmers Center. And so I kind of derive their definition of, of poverty. But if you believe poverty is a lack of knowledge, then you will educate the poor. If you believe poverty is oppression by powerful people, like politics, you True. will work for sh social justice. Mm -hmm. If you believe poverty is the sins of the poor, then you will evangelize the poor. And finally, if you believe that poverty is a lack of material resources, then you will give material resources to the poor. Hmm. So poverty hmm. viewed by a lot of um, North Americans, the Western world is viewed in terms of material well-being. Mm -hmm. yep. How many hours of electricity do they have access to? Can they pay for that electricity? Does the government have the infrastructure for that electricity in that country? That's a measure. Yep. For example, we view the rest of the world as one billion 
they're called the, they're called the bottom billion they live on one dollar a day yep mm. and then the next 2.6 billion live on two dollars a day americans mm-hmm. on average live on 90 dollars a day and i would dare say even in our communities it's much higher than that mm-hmm. sure that's yeah. the average american yeah so if we determine de- determine poverty is a lack of physical material things we are going to respond that way mm-hmm. the chalmers center defines poverty as Poverty is a result of broken relationships. Poverty is a result of broken relationships. Four main broken relationships. When God created the earth, he created it good. And he said, mm-hmm. this is good. Uh, he created man to have a relationship with God. Yep. Man has a relationship with himself. His view of self. Man has a relationship with others around them, community. Mm-hmm. And a relationship with creation, the cultural mandate. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's four relationships there. Then the fall happened and those relationships were broken. So the relationship with God was broken. Spiritual intimacy was mm-hmm. lost. Relationship with self, the view of self was broken. The yeah. Dignity. Um, mm-hmm. Your relationship with others was broken. How we relate to each other, not in love, not mm-hmm. in service, um, was broken. Self-centeredness. And finally, our, our relationship with the rest of creation was broken too. So how does that lead to poverty? Well, it leads to poverty in so many aspects because Mm -hmm. if we're broken people, you know, we don't have a right relationship with the Lord. We are going to be broken with those three other relationships too. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Just with those four things, like I'm just picturing like any one of those relationships being broken can just lead right down that road. Like if you're, if you, even if you have a broken relationship with yourself, yeah you know, mental, like we just talked about mental health with Rhonda. We were just in the last episode. Okay. Yeah. And from Elisha house. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that, um, you know, if you just have a, a broken, you know, relationship with yourself, uh, you can very easily deteriorate into a, a state where you can't even sustain yourself like spiritually, mentally, physically. And then that, you know, that very easily can be defined as poverty. Right. So, so you can have a low self of esteem or you have a really mm-hmm. high view of yourself too. That's the other mm-hmm. side of things. Yeah. Right. Let's say we have broken relationship with others. How does that affect poverty? Like you can either become self-centered because you don't have a relationship with others or you begin to exploit others. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were talking about, political oppression or, mm. or power. Yeah. So with yeah. creation, for example, we either become lazy because we're not, you know, working and making mm-hmm. things creative or we become workaholics on the other, the other yeah. side of things. Yep. So yeah. North Americans... Western thinkers, you know, yeah. we are just as broken as developing people mm-hmm. in developing nations. We are just as poor yeah. in, those f- in those four ways. Yeah. So beginning, before we even begin to work with developing countries or our partners, we have to see that we are broken in ourselves too. So if we're just as poor in those four ways, then why doesn't that translate materially? Well, Be- we're just as broken. Yeah. Right. Like it, well, well, it could be greed. That's just as broken as, you know, uh, a, a lack of, you know, like, well, I guess so I agree with what, like that. Sure. That that's a good amount. Like that's a good way to describe poverty. Right. But then I'm just uh, curious, like, so why, why are you richer? Why doesn't it manifest? Yeah. That way in, in you know, South America or, or Africa or wherever compared to here. Right. Big question, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if we look at it, we may be richer in terms of, 
our view of creation or we like we may have more material things but that doesn't mean that we have a good relationship with the lord so yeah. if you if you fly to a slum in kenya the, and you go to see the church there yep. it's going to be a 10 by 12 tarped box essentially yeah but the people have a much closer relationship with the lord than we may have here for example mm. when they pray they pray and this is my experience in malawi too lord thank you for life when's the last time you heard that off your pulpit lord thank you just for breath today for life lord pray for my son who's going blind Lord, pray for me as I go home to my husband, who I know will probably beat me. Um, and we see this poverty here too, but they have an ultimate dependence upon the Lord for their life, for their daily bread. We pray, mm -hmm. you know, Lord, give us our daily bread. They literally live that. And so their spiritual intimacy with the Lord, that relationship may be much stronger than ours here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And while we have a, maybe yep. a better relationship with material things, with our work, with our yeah, our yeah. view of, you know, money, that kind of thing. We may have a better understanding of that. We may lack, and we have to be able to learn from others too in developing all over the world, developing countries. So, so, so North America has a spiritual poverty problem. You got and, it. And Africa has a material poverty, perhaps. Right. Yeah, or, yeah that that connection with creation or yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it varies from place to place, but even like I would think relationships, like um, relationships could be very strong, even in a, in a materially poor area. Whereas here mm -hmm. we could be very detached from the world and still get by quite well. For sure. Right. right? We don't need to talk to people to get, get business done usually. Um, Especially now. Yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. And, and your relationship doesn't need to be good with people to, you know, you could be very greedy and you'd yeah. be the worst person ever to deal with, but you still yeah. are very wealthy and maybe because of that. <laughs> They often have a better yeah, sense yeah. of community than we do. Definitely. And you'll hear that. Yeah. We're individual, 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 individualistic. individualistic. <laughs> we're both, yeah. we should both try this before yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. It's, yeah. It's actually a tough that's a one. Tough one. Uh, you like in your head, you're like, ah, it's not I know, that bad. I know and then saying, it like right? starts coming off your mouth. You're like, oh man, my tongue just in knots. I love that. Good. I love it. We're very individualistic, right? And yeah. And that's not as prevalent. We, we talked to a few missionaries too, who said that's like, that's not a the thing. biggest difference. Yeah, the biggest oh, difference. Yeah. 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 Right. That's that's interesting that they said the same. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. So if that's our yeah. definition of poverty, just carrying on with that, yeah. what is the solution then? Well, well, that changes the way you look at it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I was like I was gonna ask you if I hit you sure. with a question back, perhaps. Like yeah, so you it. guys are you guys are focused on on I guess it seems like Africa and Central South America that kind of yeah I can the work's been done so far. I can clarify that sure. for you. Yeah, we have about fifty-five different projects in thirteen um, countries okay. ongoing. Yeah, South and Central Latin America, in Africa and in Asia. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I guess like we just discussed, like it seems like North America has the spiritual poverty, mm -hmm. whereas like many of these other places that are more uh, materially impoverished don't have the spiritual poverty. So why, um, I guess if you guys define poverty along those, those four poles of, you know, broken relationship with God, with others, with self and creation, um, why choose to focus on the areas where they don't have material goods like we have here? Um, 
I don't know. Like, right. I guess it's more of a, you said, uh, kind of a deacon focused sort of organization. So you're focusing more on the material, I guess, maybe. So just to clarify the, that point, um, we are all broken in humanity. So while they may have a stronger sense of connection with the Lord, that doesn't mean that the whole country does. And so true. it's not exactly black and white. Like, yeah, if yeah. we look at it that way, because yeah. mm-hmm. you can say you have a good relationship with the Lord and the Canadian next door has no relationship with the Lord. So it varies in within the yeah. country. Um, so why do, do we just work with deeds and why the word? Yeah. Essentially. Basically. Cause well, yeah. Cause we, we spent this time talking about poverty. Yeah. Like, okay, what is poverty? So why are we just, poverty is not just deeds? the material. Right. Yeah. So right. are we opposed? Are we, yeah, yeah sure. Speak Does to that. that not make sense. Okay. Yeah. So great question. The solution to poverty is restoring those broken relationships, restoring those four. Okay. And that comes through the Lord Jesus and that comes through a gospel focus. Right. Right. So Colossians 1 verse 19 to 20 says this, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, that's Christ to reconcile to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. So through the cross, all things are reconciled to himself. Reconcile reconciliation is restoring relationships Mm -hmm. is connecting our relationship to the Lord, to others, to ourself and to creation. And when you have someone who has been transformed by the gospel and reconciled in all those four relationships, you're, you will see, you know, growth. You will see, um, you know, growth with your job. And your view of creation is connected. So you want to, you know, fill the earth and subdue it. You'll, you'll want to serve others in community because your view of others has changed. Your view of self has changed. You are not the center of the universe anymore. The Lord is. And your relationship with the Lord has changed too. So in the heart of every project, it begins with the word. That's why the word is first. It's yeah. not deed and word. It's word and deed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Christ has to be at the center of every project, but then on from that, you can start to begin developing the material or the external things. Yeah. hope that makes sense. Um, it does. Yeah. I wonder <clears throat> if we, it, I, I don't disagree with this approach. Like we sure. often, we often focus on, you know, uh, areas that are materially, uh, yeah, lacking or impoverished, but I guess we don't do mission work to richer people who are spiritually impoverished, perhaps like mm-hmm. we, even in our, in our churches here, like we talked to uh, pastor Ian yeah. back in, this is probably the summer, I guess now. And like the work they're doing at mercy church, sure, which they, they're in McQueston, which is a, um, you know, an economically, um, what would you say de- yeah. deprived or not as, you know, it's not as economically well off as other areas of Hamilton, mm-hmm. which, so I wonder if maybe you can speak to this or not. Like, mm-hmm. do we choose to go, into poor areas because there is an easy or tangible way to help those people. And then like materially. Right. And then by doing that, it's also a very good in with the gospel. Whereas if we were to focus on rich people, like they don't really need us. Like they, they do need the gospel, but like, sure. They don't need our help. They they wouldn't see it like that. Do you think that's, I know know what you're getting at for sure. So definitely when working with, um, the the poor we yeah. well, we are poor too we have to keep that in mind yes. but we're, yeah. we're working with a materially poor poor yeah 
Um, it does provide an opportunity for the gospel to enter for sure. Yeah. But the danger is that because there's money being focused in a certain area, then all of a sudden people will become Christians. Those are called rice, rice Christians. So there was, there was mission organizations about 200 years ago yeah. that they said, oh, these people are poor. They need food. They need rice. Oh, yeah. So we have to buy rice for them and we'll just flood, you know, flood the yeah, community yeah. with rice. Everyone has rice and everyone comes to church because that's where they you get, can the, get rice. the rice. Yeah. Mm. The funding left and how big was the church after that uh, dwindled away to almost nothing. Mm-hmm. So they were there for the rice. They weren't there for the gospel, which yeah. is what we have to start with. Um, so why, the second answer to that question, why do we work with the poor? We follow our example and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ saw the need, right? Yep. And the Bible says this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's in Luke 7, verse 22. Matthew 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Mm -hmm. The gospel came not for the rich or the powerful. The gospel comes for the weak of society, for the poor. Hmm. I think the gospel comes for all. Like Jesus spent times with the prostitutes. It does. But, but the Lord but is also, pleased to use the gospel through weak means to I show his glory and his strength. Agreed. Yeah. But he spends times with the prostitutes and the tax and collectors. He does both. Yeah. Which are like those guys are rich, but outcast. Thank, thankfully, the gospel has come yeah. for all. Yeah. Um, but the Lord never, he saw the need, right? And we hear these, these texts like um, if you see your brother and he doesn't have... Cl- a cloth like clothing, why will you not give it to him? Yeah. If he's hungry, will you not feed him? Mm-hmm. And so that is our Christian calling too, to reach out in love and compassion. Yeah. And yeah. so often that's easy to explain. We have a love and a desire to share Christ's love through material things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um that's it's easy to have a heart for the poor, but it's hard to have a mind for the poor and how to do development well. Yes. Are you following me there? That makes sense. It's mm. easy to say, I see a need there. I want to give, let's have a soup kitchen, right? Let's let's chop carrots, get our onions, put it in a pot and, and distribute food. That's, mm. There's a need there for sure. People yep. are hungry and there's nothing yep. wrong with that. The, the hard part is having a mind for the poor, meaning if we feed them this week, they're going to come back next week expecting the same thing. But yeah. they aren't going to mm-hmm. become independent. They're they're not going to become self sufficient. Right. So we have to just think about the poor in terms of their own dignity and their own long term well being. Yeah. So how do you do that different then? So I'm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like so. How is how does word indeed work the word into? Um, I guess it doesn't. It starts with the word. Um, sure. But they see the deed a lot of times and not mm-hmm. the word. Or the deed and the word is, you know, exactly on like these rice rice Christians as you call them. Yeah. So how do you separate those things so that they see the word um, as important and not just, you know, what you're what they're getting physically or materially out of it? I have a little story to kind of yeah. explain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Explain that idea. 
So we um, about ten years ago, there was a hurricane in, um, in Nicaragua, decimated the coast of Nicaragua, and we began working with a local partner there called Palabriechos, which means word and deed, actually, in Spanish. It's kind of funny. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, they named them. <laughs> they copycats. They named themselves word and deed. But yeah. anyway, um, they're independent from us, but we work alongside each other. And they began working with farmers who were rebuilding their farms after this hurricane had wiped out their crops. Mm-hmm. And so they're agriculturally teaching them new techniques to planting rice, to growing corn, etc. Yep. Um, so they had worked on that for about seven years. They'd given seed. They had helped train these farmers. Um, and along the way, they did bring the gospel, for sure. But the people weren't getting the message. They were mm-hmm. still planting rice, not in rows, which makes it easier to weed. They're still scattering the seed like their ancestors did generations ago. Um, And so even after five years, there was no progress. There was no change. And so you say, yeah, we brought the deed. We brought seeds. Mm -hmm. You know, we brought agricultural technicians that were teaching them agricultural new techniques, et cetera. The deed is all there. And why is is there no change? Mm. It's because they didn't have a proper worldview, a proper... Um, relate those four relationships weren't restored. And so their view of work was, was tilted and shifted. So for example, their view of work and their view of creation, it was a curse to go in the field and weed your fields. So they never mm-hmm. weeded their fields hmm. with others. Um, husbands would never help their wives. Their, their responsibility was only in the field mm-hmm. for a certain amount of the day. And Wives would always be independent. Okay. I'm just laying the, laying the Mm. groundwork here. Mm -hmm. Um, For themselves, they always believed that they would be poor because their ancestors had been poor. Their local tribe had always been poor. And then with God, God was not someone who is a creator and sustainer of all things. God was kind of with, you hear about these ancestral practices that the Lord, I mean, not the Lord, but these ancestral spirits kind of controlled whether their fields were productive or not, right? Sure. Oh, so they, they were they were planting yeah, straight rows of rice, but all those other things, their view of family, well, that had not changed. Hmm. And until the gospel came in through the local technicians and through the trainers to say, no, like, husbands, you can help your wives after dinner clean your pot. You can hmm. assist your wife by, you know, helping with the children. Or, mm-hmm. um, no, what you do in the field is... You're, you're called to serve and work in the field to pick those weeds as a cultural mandate, you know, and, and the view of the Lord had to change too, because, um, how, how hard is it to grow crops when if, you know, if they fail, then that's not my fault. That's, that's just what the Lord wanted or what God or the ancestral spirits wanted. So unless you have a foundation of the gospel to change your worldview on all these other things, they will not change. Right. Interesting. So, so yeah, go ahead. So how does the word come? So you said through technicians. So is it through the guy teaching them to plant their rice in rows that he's like, well, you know, um, Hmm. you know, giving them a Bible lesson before they walk out in the fields in the morning (laughs) or like how, because yeah. When when we think of mission work in the in the church context, we yeah. we think of sending a missionary 
And we think of, at least in my mind, you have mission and mission aid and mission aid is like, is, is the deed is like giving so that the people, not so that the people come to listen, but it definitely helps to, um, make an opportunity for the missionary who goes out to preach. And so you have the preacher who is like, we talked to a couple or a couple missionaries mm-hmm. who say, well, yeah, you would, you, you would preach in a, in a market or you preach in a yeah, village square, or you would um, set up a Bible study or a, or a school where, you know, people would come and eventually you try to grow a church and establish a church. And, yeah. and so that's, that's very mission, mission oriented, but how mm-hmm. does your, like word indeed seems seems to be more focused on the enterprise of like the yeah like right. fixing how they how they do agriculture mm-hmm. really does help them mm-hmm. and then bringing the the word through that okay so how do, how so do, like, continuing you don't have, with that example yeah. so that was the first five years okay then the technicians learned we have to bring the gospel present it with them hmm. and and present it to them and so they started doing that they started teaching them. The biblical view of work, the biblical view of family, the biblical view of all these things and teaching the Lord, you need the Lord as your savior. That changed the way they worked. Out of that, a small church sprung up Okay. later on. And now there's a small reformed Christian school. There's a small reformed church there. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that, that came out of the development work. Without the, the presence days. of a, an ordained missionary? Right. Wow. Ordained. Yeah. yeah no. Right. Local because we would send, yeah, we would send an ordained minister to be called to mission, mm-hmm. a mission post. Mm-hmm. So without all of that, they still had a church spring up. But there were local Christian leaders there. Right. Nicaraguans that understood reformed view of the gospel and they were leading, you know, the, the project and they right. were our partners. And from that, a local reformed church began. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So kind of the worldview um, comes through in the enterprise building side of things. It seems like, like they teach you, like, like here's how to, you know, do agricultural better, mm-hmm. agriculture better. Mm-hmm. And here's why we do it better, yeah. you know, for God's glory and that you have a calling to work, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of bleeds into there. So that's kind of neat. I mm-hmm. think our historical view of missions is, you know, missionaries are for the, the, the Bible explanation, the theological training, and then, the, the diaconal ministries are for um, the economic development, you know, material well-being. We have to keep those two. Th- we have to join those two together. Yeah. Jesus taught, you know, in the synagogues and he healed the poor. Like yeah. we, those two inherently, they have to be together because without it, you won't see development. Um, yeah. You need yeah. the gospel and you need development. So. Yeah, it sounds like they can, I hope that makes they can really eat like they blend really well. But I think like the intentional mission aid um, with the mission like worked into it. You know, it has to be done in the right way. Aid, it has to be has to be mission. Yeah. But I think that it works it, into our lives too. I think like to what you asked, Lucas, was like, how, why do we bring always bring the the material or the like? Why do we always bring our wealth to people without it? I think part of that's because we have it. So we, you know, especially just our community, I wouldn't say like our country or like, I mean, obviously the, like North America is like wealthier than most other continents. Um, But as a community, we bring our wealth and, and our blessings to even like 
downtown Hamilton because they don't have that. So I think whatever we're blessed with, we look to give away. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's part of um, like our, nothing, our mandate for to, sure. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. That's even 100%. called, we're even called to do that. Mm-hmm. And it can be given in certain situations when it makes sense. Yeah. So someone had to hire those local technicians. Someone had to provide the initial seed, mm-hmm. right? Someone had to just provide the fertilizer. And that's where Word Indeed comes in to fill that gap where the people themselves can't do that. Right. Then Word Indeed comes in, fills that gap with donor support, of course, mm-hmm. um, and much prayer. And that's where we can kind of assist with development along the way. Yeah, cool. But we're not sending t-shirts um, overseas and, and then just back, open. yeah, backing out or, yeah. I got, I kind of have a funny story that just, go ahead. Yeah, go, go I used to play for the Palm Panthers soccer team. Okay. All right. Travel okay. soccer here in Niagara growing up. And so when I went to Malawi, I went to a tribal um, ceremony where they crowned their chief. And I was the only white person allowed to be there because I gained their trust. And lo and behold, guess what I see? What? A Pelham Panthers t-shirt worn, like the logo Pelham Panthers on it, worn by one of these, the people in the crowd. Yeah, and I took a picture. I said, how in the world does my you know, soccer team jersey get to, the, get to them? Yeah. And it's because it's our the world's view of aid. It's because of how we've done aid for so long. We just sent them sending over. things That's over. That's mind boggling. It's it was just totally crazy, and it also shows you how globalization has changed everything too. Oh yeah. Um, as a side note, but yeah, that's just, crazy. So they and they obviously know that that is aid from the West. Yeah. Um. Are are people usually okay with that? Like. I mean, which people? Well, like you're saying, like this is like a tribal ceremony or something. Like, yeah. I mean, to right. me, that brings in all sorts of images of like, yeah, like something very primitive. It, it really was, yeah. So they're okay to be wearing a jersey of a Western soccer team from the Niagara. Like, it doesn't right. doesn't they, really click with me like that. So they like, probably just want shirts. Like, they they want shirts and they want them cheap too, and they come cheap because they're donated. Yeah. So they just, and yeah. So how, how do people view, how do you, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe, maybe you can speak to this. How, how do um, those people view that aid then? Um, because obviously word indeed is, is intentional about helping them also with the, with the education side of it, like, you know, learning how to farm or learning, you know, how to do that, you know, chicken farming business. Right. Um, yeah. If you were just to go and give them chickens or go and give them shirts and go and give them rice, mm-hmm. How do they just view that material um, what's blessing from mm-hmm. the West? Do they do they welcome that usually, or or is that something that they would say, ah, you know what, this is just, you know, this will last so long and then it's gone? And are they more excited about the the enterprise side of things? Like when you guys come along, they're like, oh, someone to teach us how to, like, or they don't see it like that probably. So, um. There's a lot of thoughts, well, especially in Africa, on the colonialistic mindset mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. West, imperialistic yep. Um, yep. view. We are the father, and then you are the kind of the son, and yep. we can train you. We right. can teach you. Yep. So just listen to us. Right. That is very, very not correct. Like, the reason why local indigenous leaders are such a key part of Word and Deed is because local indigenous leaders 
they understand their people, they understand their systems. And to so mm. to to come in there and say, oh no, this is how we're this is how you're actually supposed to work as a community. This is how your church is supposed to function, that is completely wrong. And mm. that's something that I think we sometimes we have to repent of. And realizing that they're not like they're made in the image of God. They have the creative mind. They have so mm. many, you know, assets and so many things themselves that they can yeah. grow their community with. It's, so. That's interesting because we view our culture as in, in ways, um, I can't say superior, but more, say more efficient in business or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because we talked to um, Reverend Verstag too, who was in P&G and he described when they set up a seminary, um, it was hard to get people, the locals who even the locals who, who, uh, were leaders in that, in that, um, seminary mm-hmm. to show up on time or to, mm-hmm. um, it was very hard to do anything. You couldn't get things yeah. done. So, and to him, it was a struggle and, and it just takes patience to be okay with that Yeah. on the one hand. But he did allude to the fact that you do kind of want to change the way they view, you know, that relaxed attitude or something. Um, sure. so to me, it was like, well, okay, why are we, why do we go in there and change their culture? Why wouldn't you go in there? be okay with their culture and then, you know, work at, you know, what you can in the way you can. He said, well, it's very difficult because they don't show up. So what do you like? You can't preach if they don't come. So, but so some of that's like, yeah, I mean, you want the indigenous leaders or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, the locals to, to spearhead, um, those efforts. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, how do you, balance that with the you know the expertise that maybe you know you have like right yeah Yeah. so there are huge cross-cultural differences when working uh with a different culture that have to be overcome yeah yeah the time example is one of them yeah there's there's kind of like a joke between the westerners and the africans you know the west is always right on time and the africans they're right on time too but it's their time so yeah, right. <laughs> they're, they're an hour yeah. half hour late hour late that's okay because they they saw their uncle along the way and they had to have a right. conversation with him because you know what's more important is that relationship with him than the time right you know the relationship yeah. with whatever they were late for in our view so we have to we have our um constructs in our culture that mm. make up who North America is. But then we also have South Americans and their constructs of priorities. Right. So I don't know if you've heard of Hofstede's five theories and it gets into different individualistic versus, you know, community differences. Right, right. So the way even even the way we talk to each other, indirect versus direct communication. Germans are known as the most direct communicators. They will say you were late. Why were you not on time? Hmm. Their trains are never late in Germany. Yeah, that's true. Been there. Um, hmm. But then you have indirect communication saying like, um, you know, there was once a story of an eagle and he didn't catch his fish on time and didn't bring the fish back to the nest. So the young, the young one died. That's a very indirect, indirect way of saying you yeah. were late. You weren't there on time. You didn't yeah. get the fish when you had to interesting so that's maybe how that'll be communicated in another culture so there are huge mm-hmm. cultural differences that need to be overcome to answer your question we have a lot to learn from them we we go with a mindset of humility mm. 
and we're working alongside of them. So they need to adjust to some of our thinking and we need to share our thinking when appropriate. Um, right. And we do have a lot of knowledge in terms of theology, even business practice, entre- you know, yeah. enterprise, and they want to hear that from us too. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we can come alongside and we can share, right. but always respecting um, their culture and learning and listening from them too along the way because we don't have all the answers yeah yeah it's just tough to grapple with because even in our we've had this conversation even about our churches inside our churches the the uh diversity in our churches and uh actually it was tim challies i think who who mentioned that he had uh, a cuban couple in his church mm-hmm. and they said well we don't find you're very welcoming and, you know as dutch people you're like whoa really like you know come over for some soup so but <laughs> But to them, they are more like it was more of this. Yeah, what we're describing, like, yeah, you meet your uncle along the way mm-hmm. going somewhere and, and that relationship's important. So then he said they would come to church and take 15, 20 minutes to get to their seat because they want to talk to everyone along For the way. Sure. Yeah. And so and that was the way they they did that. So even in our context, it, certain things have to be adapted, especially like to to help bring people in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you had a point down here on the on the outline um, about the global south and sending missionaries to the west, like to North America. Maybe that ties in with like learning from from their culture and stuff. But mm-hmm. what did you mean by that? Like, do you think um, Africa should start sending missionaries to us here in North America? Well, they already are. Really? Yeah. Cool. Where? Like all over? There's multiple occasions. Once I was at a conference and there was a Brazilian missionary there. He told the story of a a missionary from the suburbs of Chicago, being raised in Chicago, wanted to go preach to the jungles of the Amazon. Flies to the jungles of the Amazon, works among a local community, a local tribe. Um, They grow up, they experience revival, the gospel, the spirit is with them. And then they hear about this faraway land. Who These people are leaving their Lord and they're leaving their churches and we need to go help them. They fly to Chicago. So people from that same tribe fly to back to Chicago and they preach in the suburbs of Chicago, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. So if we think we're the only ones sending, the U.S. was not the, the you know, the Philippines send more missionaries than the U.S. have recently. Where? Really? The central, the... Another thing is like in 2025, an historian predicted that the center of Christianity would be in Africa and not in North America and Europe. So the global South is growing in Christianity. And we hear, we hear reports of this in India too. New, new people groups being reached in China, right? We have a, we have a partner that is reaching and has reached about 30 new people groups with the gospel. Just amazing work. And the, the spirit is moving and working there. And we are humbled by that, those reports mm-hmm. here at, at Word Indeed and here in North America too. So the Global South is growing in terms of, yeah, their understanding of scripture and their the spirit is moving and people are being saved. Churches are growing and they're sending missionaries back to us because huh. we're leaving our, our first love. That makes sense to me. Yeah, fascinating. I did not know that was going on though. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Do you guys? Yeah. yeah so that's amazing. I guess with that in mind, maybe like this. Word I didn't and, know that either until like a year and a half ago when I started learning more about this. Like all these, all this is all new to me too. Yeah. 
And mm. I'm just, I'm just exploding at the scenes of like, this needs to be heard. Like, that's why I'm so excited about talking about this. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, this is good. Well, and you, like, and, <laughs> yeah. And you're really about this. Oh, no, totally. And your approach too, of like, like the enterprise side of things, helping people build up, um, you know, businesses and, and the local economy. So it's more sustainable and you can kind of back out and, and let the locals kind of run it, I think is, is a fantastic approach. Do you guys have any plans for any, um, efforts or mission efforts here locally, like in Canada, I'm thinking maybe a particular context would be a lot of reserves across the country are, you know, it's like third world conditions out there. And a big problem is economic opportunity, even though there are definitely churches across the reserves, like there's a pretty healthy, uh, evangelical yeah. indigenous population. But have you guys considered anything along, along those lines at all? We have helped in, uh, America before with the Hurricane Katrina in the yep. Mississippi. Okay. We have sent uh, relief funds there and I know multiple teams went down. Maybe not just from Word and Deed, but from our churches too. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that's a small example. We are an international reformed, uh, reformed international relief and development. So we do look internationally. Um, so we would say we focus more on the developing world. Gotcha. Uh, but there's definitely need in our backyard and yeah. that should not be ignored for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would, so being an international organization, are, does that prevent you from, from helping in the back, in the quote unquote backyard? Or it's just, that's more of your focus is to be in other countries. That's historically been more of our focus, but yeah. I don't think that that should limit the way that we think about, yeah. like we said, the poor and who we can mm -hmm. help. Scott's like the newbie. He's gonna like go in there, and be like this is who we're helping now. <laughs> well, there's a there's a big need there. Like, oh, he, it's he, tremendous. Yeah. Like, I uh, I spent a year in Ottawa working on Parliament Hill, and and the MP I work for, uh, Arnold Pearson. He was on the Northern Affairs Committee, so I would go in and and sit in the committee and take notes for him and whatnot. And at the time, they were doing a study on the suicide crisis. This is back in like 2016 already mm -hmm. on reserve. And I, to my knowledge, it's not gotten any better. So like there's a real, yeah, there's a real opportunity there, a real, a real mm -hmm. meaning crisis, a real, yeah, lack of opportunity economically, like I said. And um, yeah. I think, you know, we could do a lot of good in those communities, I think, with the model that you guys have set out. But Yeah, I've been twice to Moose Factory. Okay. which is on the bottom of James Bay, yep. which is an indigenous community too. Yeah, And yep. yeah, it's really interesting to see how they're de developing too. And they're so isolated, it's hard. Yeah. Often that's often the problem. It's but a big challenge, definitely. The, the real problem is the four relationships that are broken. Yeah. That we talked about earlier. Exactly. Yeah, man. And that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't change easily. <laughs> right. So the so mission trips are kind of going off that. Like yeah. you went to Kentucky and you're aware of that. So... Mission trips have a lot of good, um, they can do a lot of good. They can also do a lot of harm to the local, um, you know, communities too. Yeah. So for example, if you went into that indigenous community, like our youth group did, and you rebuild or fix whatever was broken, then let's say their church roof gets broken in a few years and they don't have the financial resources to fix it. Well, who are they, who are they going to call? Yeah. Mm. Are they going to call us again and say, oh, by the way, you kind of put a roof together five yeah. years ago. Um, can you fix it now? Well, no, that's their church, right? They they mm -hmm. didn't take ownership though because we came in, we built the thing, and we left. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a little bit of something that we should think about as we deal with even more local kind of 
even Kentucky, even yeah, yeah, Virginia totally. mountains, that kind of thinking too. Appalachia, yeah. yeah. Appalachia. Do you, yeah, that's, how yeah, do you find local partners? Um, when, like indigenous partners, how do you guys go about doing that? Yep. So we do receive num numerous requests in a year from different organizations around the world. And typically we try to start with our reformed base um, or a connection to a reformed church. Sometimes they come through different churches. They come through hearing, oh, there's this, you know, the Nicaraguan partner. There's another Nicaraguan partner that wants to, wants to work. So they'll talk to Word Indeed. And then we kind of go through a vetting process to see if they share a lot of the same goals in terms of long-term development, in terms of gospel centrality, local leadership, that kind of thing. And then that's kind of how we narrow down who we work with. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So decision not made lightly for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't deal with everybody, obviously. The need yeah. is great. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, the poor will always be among you. That's what the mm. Bible says too. But sure. um, that doesn't, that keeps yeah. it, we, it doesn't decrease our motivation. Yeah. For, that way. for sure. Mm. Has the need grown this year or I guess over 2020 with, with all the COVID, uh, lockdowns and such it has really grown yeah especially with food relief food yeah. global food economies have been cut short uh, meaning that and harvests have been cut short meaning that there's a huge need for food we had one of our partners saying they had to with sticks beat away the people who were climbing over their walls to get at their food and the next week they did end up distributing that food to thousands of people that was one example early in April. So many examples throughout this year. We ended up um, distributing through our partners about $600,000 in food relief to the most vulnerable, the most needy, those who had no, no other option kind of thing. Yeah. 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 It's crazy how much of an impact um, yeah, globalization has, like, like decisions made in North America related to COVID lockdowns and stuff like that have a ripple effect throughout like the supply yeah. chains and food chains throughout the world. Yeah. You think so, like, some of these impoverished areas, they live off of like say income from coffee or, or rice or something that they grow. And yeah, it's like people like aren't traveling as much, they're not drinking as much coffee on the go or something like, <laughs> well, just, just like knows? getting it here with the health regulations, even like they probably only they want to limit it or whatever. But I was going to ask you mm -hmm. off of that with COVID, I guess, but also with uh, you mentioned hurricane Katrina, um, you do disaster relief, like, or, um, natural disaster relief. Um, how does that, how do, um, you play, um, mission work into, into that? Like, mm -hmm. um, I know there's been a lot of effort from our churches, yeah. um, on, you know, certain, um, disasters around the world. And, you know, there's obviously a few big ones here and there, but, um, how do, how does word indeed play a role in, in those situations and then, and then helping build, um, like good relationships after that? Sure. That's often how a lot of our partners are actually grown and, and how we find them and work with them. But okay. To answer a pre previous question, you know, the Nicaragua example I gave, that was all based off of a hurricane. Mm, yeah, and now right. we're still yeah, working yeah. with them 10 years later. Oh, okay. But other examples, for relief, there's, there's an immediate need. And mm. we're not always thinking long-term development right away. You think these people are poor, their houses have been destroyed, they have no access to food, the relief goes to helping those things right away. But we only do so if there's a local partner that we trust, or a local church that we're working alongside of to help distribute that, right? Right. 
So once that's established, we will work with those people. Um, an example in the Philippines in 2013, a massive typhoon destroyed many homes, cleared out, just did so much damage. They needed food. So right away through a partner organization, we sent food relief. Um, and then we started rebuilding. So after relief, there's a rebuilding phase. And then after that, there's a development kind of phase that we hope to see. Right. And so working with a partner SMO, we begin rebuilding homes after that. Then a relationship is built. Then we find a local pastor not too far away. He had already been working among that community. He became part of that partner. And out of that sprung Bible study in a local church. And so then that long-term development continues. Right. And since then, we've actually um, stopped working there because that community is, is developing and there's oh, a church cool. there already. So it, yeah. br relief brings so many opportunities for the gospel. An example of this past year in COVID is in Ecuador. Uh, there was a local Chachi village, which is way off the beaten path. They had they needed access to food too. So through the army of the Ecuadorian army, we were able to send in some food relief. And one of the um, ladies, the wives of the army men, she heard about the gospel through our partner in Quininde, Ecuador. She started a Bible study with some of the other army ladies, and they together they began a Bible study. And I'm, to my knowledge, that's still going on today. Oh, and wow. so, the like that's one small example of how the gospel has has you yeah, know been cool. used through relief. Yeah. In another, I can I can just keep. keep there's keep just, <laughs> there's yeah. just so many. Yeah. Story time with Scott. Yeah, the no, other well, that's there's, great. There's yeah. another country with the churches expect. I think it was a 25 percent growth in their church membership because of COVID and. Not because of just food relief, but because of who is our Lord and who is the Savior and where is God in this. So oh, wow, kind of created a, an existential <laughs> crisis almost. Yes, but like, like made people really think deeply. Like, oh, what am I doing here? I I think it has here too, North America. True. I mean, oh yeah. Have we seen that? Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, in some cases, I, I think we've been well, talking about yeah. going the other way because you know we we're not going to church anymore and mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, I, I saw a stat. It was. Um, 10% of Canadians had considered suicide in 2020. 10%. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's high. Yeah, that is really high. Yeah. We've seen that in the developing world too. We've seen domestic violence double, if not triple, hmm. in Colombia. And mental health just skyrocketing in places, especially places with strict lockdowns too. Yeah. Where their job, they've lost their job. How can I provide for my family? You know, one thing leads to the next. And yeah, mental health is just terrible. Yeah. Families locked together in these tight spaces and family, you know, Dynamics, fighting with yeah. each other. So yeah, we need, we definitely need the gospel here in our churches and our, you know, in the way we work with, each other talk to each other and um across the world mm -hmm. such saw, a need for it i saw something in there i can't i can't pick it out while while you were talking but you mentioned something about not not letting your differences um the differences of we got 25 minutes or so um you wrote something about not letting your differences like the differences between you know you and say another a group of uh, 
Christian missionaries or mission workers or something kind of stop you from from working together or don't let that be a barrier or something. If I if I read that correctly, anyways, I, I'm curious about that because you mm-hmm. you said like, well, okay, we went into an area and we found a you know a pastor lo- working locally. Yeah. Um, how do you interact with the, that? Is it is it like they have to be very aligned with everything you you believe or is there like how much room is there for 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 give and take there like does is an evangelical pastor you know the same as a baptist pastor who's working in that area um you know how important is that anyways like sure they don't have to be canadian reformed or or united reformed or you know Mm -hmm. i think one of the beautiful things about word indeed when i joined is I was able to see all these different reformed Christians coming together from their different churches, working together on a common need of the gospel and for relief Mm. too. I think that was a beautiful thing, something that should be celebrated and something that should be worked on more. So for sure, for example, making a good Dutch soup, you need a number of different, um, items right (laughs) to make a beautiful soup so different christians or groups of christians will have different strengths so let's say one is chopping up the carrots one is you know breaking apart the onions they might be crying because they're onions that's okay though and then you have the the celery cutters then you have the chicken broth then you have the chicken okay Mm. and someone else makes the noodles when you put that all together and you boil it, it creates such a beautiful thing. It creates a feast. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think sometimes we split apart the carrots and the celeries and we have to join them together. And when you're talking overseas, when you're talking about the gospel, you can't um, worry as much about if you're a carrot or I'm a carrot. You got to think yeah. about what can you do together to make a feast yeah, of the gospel. It's funny because we, my mind goes there with, with mission work or mm-hmm. with, with relief and then, and then finding a partner that would be faithful to what we believe. But if, if you said, okay, well, we're going to translate the Bible into a, a new language, I would say that's amazing work. Go do that. And you wouldn't say, well, you know, is it going to best resemble the ESV or the, you know, new King James or like, what, what, what are you translating it into? Like mm-hmm. you would just be like worried about getting the words down on paper and it, and it, you know, meaning what it means. And so I think that's like, yeah, kind of, it's kind of like two different ways to, to, you know, view that. But uh, yeah, I guess yeah. you can't let those, those things bar you from good work. Like, like what you said. So <laughs> that's interesting because there's also like there's so many other people doing so much work we just learned like about all sorts of urc things when we were chatting with somebody all sorts of urc uh work that we had no idea was going on so yeah it's um, cool to see the coordination do you guys find uh you typically like you mentioned the nicaragua Mm -hmm. example do you find you typically work in more agricultural or rural settings or do you guys help out in, in, in urban environments as well yeah i I think typically we've, it's been a mix. There's, there's yeah. different projects that we have different um, partners that are working deep in the heart of cities. And then there are other partners that are working out in the boonies, out in the fields. The Nicaragua example was one of out in the fields. You have mm-hmm. to 
Yeah. Do you find a big difference in people's attitudes, even if it's in the same country, but urban and rural? Like we definitely have a divide in, in North America in terms of sure. attitudes, urban and rural. Is the same hold true in, in the global South, as you put it? Yeah, I think there's different attitudes, even in the way you grow up and the way you view the world. If you grow up in a city, you think maybe a little bit bigger about the world or you think more you have to live and survive as opposed to the country. I'm not a... I'm not a human geography expert. I'm not going to get mm, into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I think like when we talk about global missions, we even North American missions, we have to think that the world is going to an urban context. We're getting away from a rural context. So some numbers that were presented to me a year ago. Um, in 1910, less than 5% of the population lived in cities. In 2010 more than 50% of the world lived in cities. In less than 30 years, almost they predict 100% based on demographics, 100% of people will be living in cities. Almost 100%. Wow. That's like... Now I don't know the future and neither does that, the demographic, you know, analyzers of trends, but we are moving towards an urbanized context. And what are we doing as missions to prepare for that and to grow, you know, our churches in that mm-hmm. context yeah fascinating that kind of ties in yeah with what pastor ian had talked about in that yeah. episode too i mean it's the same trends hold true in canada like it's mm-hmm. rapidly urbanizing as well so yeah how yeah to, it brings its own dangers that. and stuff too right you know just talking about people who can't make a living farming or gathering and hunting and you're talking about yeah i mean there's a lot more it's more complicated it's more different types it, of people more but yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for you know, growing drug use and, and things like that in the urban setting and and a lot of problems like that, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> what are, yeah, what are pro- some things we missed? I was going to say, um, well, I was going to be smooth about it and kind of just transition. Okay. Well, if you want to be, you know, crude. <laughs> Delete that. Delete crude, that. you know. Um, Go, segue. Go. Yeah, I was going to segue, but right, anyways. Segue. <laughs> sat on my segue. But, uh, um, no, we, we didn't really talk about uh, mission trips, like short-term mission trips yet, or maybe short-term versus long-term. We talked a lot about the model you guys have, right? but um, maybe I should ask you this personally, so you don't have to speak on behalf of Word Indeed, but <laughs> okay. how do you, what, what are your thoughts on shorter-term mission trips, like the typical, like, like the one I described, like mm-hmm. I went to Kentucky, you went to Kentucky, yeah. uh, I think it was just for a week, wasn't yeah. super long. Uh, other people I know, like in, in Guido. Mm-hmm. You go to DR for a week often or so, or yeah. 10 days or whatever it is. Um, what do you think about those short-term mission trips? How valuable are they? Depends if you're asking who they're valuable to. Yeah, that's a good, mm. good response. So when considering going on a mission trip, you have to consider um, what value will it bring to the partner in their local context. So if we send 20 hardworking Dutch ladies and gentlemen into you know to build a school for example mm-hmm. we may not be considering the local economy and the local stonemasons who can build the same school as well we may not we may be taking their work um you know we may be doing the work that the locals can do we may be creating dependency like we talked about earlier um mm-hmm. we may be just going to going there to work, feel good about the work that we did and leave and not, not build any relationships or share any of the gospel there. So a little motto I have is don't go with the Gildan t-shirt, go with the gospel um, <laughs> in mind. Yeah. Well, that mm-hmm. mean, that looks like humility. That looks like going there to serve, to listen with them. Um, sometimes 
you have to think about the local partner. Is it going to be a stress on them to, to have 20 people to host, to feed? Um, that maybe mm. that's a consideration we need to have too. Um, yeah, is the time right for the locals? Will they take ownership of the, let's say, building? If you build a building, will they take ownership of that when you leave? Do they just see... You know, if we need another building built, do we just call the North Americans in and they're going to do it for us? Or are they going to consider building it themselves with their own community's assets and their own mm -hmm. local tradesmen? Mm. So I think it can be used for a lot of good in the right situations. Yeah. And often the most good is applied to those who go because they see a different perspective of the world. I was introduced to, to missions by going on a trip. I went to Guatemala and then I ended up, I went to Kentucky. We went twice to Moose Factory up north and the indigenous community like I talked about. And then I went to France that wasn't for missions, but that gave a little bit more perspective on life on the globe. And then to Africa for, for that chicken farm, right? Yeah. So that all adds to growing a heart and a mind and skills for missions. And I think it's a good thing to, to do to get gain perspective it just has to be done in the right way yeah right Does that makes sense yeah yeah totally if yeah that's like anything if you have if i well even if you have good intentions i guess maybe but yeah if you think clearly about it before going on because i feel i shouldn't say i feel i should say i think but i think that for a lot of of people especially young people if you go in high school too too yeah. I, I was going to say that point which you brought up is that the good side of it is that you are exposed to what it's like to be in a new environment and, and kind of the mission context. And that might, you know, inspire you to do further mission work. And, and obviously in your case, it, it totally did full time. Yeah. But I think also people do end up going there selfishly too, for mm. just selfish reasons, just to, you know, especially if you're going to a more mm. tropical um, destination, like yeah, you wouldn't want to go, vacation, yeah, you go know, to the DR, make some concrete. paint a couple of buildings, you know, like your people. take a couple That's photos it. for Instagram, like you're all right. set. So yeah. there's, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm definitely skeptical of those kind of trips in that way. But yeah, the way you put it though, they can be done for good, but you have to consider the locals. But I do think at the end of the day, the people who get the most out of it are probably the people who go from North America. Yeah. And I would agree. And that's not to say I hate mission trips. Like no. I'm, they have value. I'm very, oh, they have, they, yeah. have, they have a lot of value yeah. when mm -hmm. they're in the right context and like the local partners, they've thought through it before going, that kind of thing. You travel all over and then you didn't expect to get the job at Word and Deed. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. You've been everywhere they work. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah. One of my, you know, personal goals is to visit more countries than my age. So I'm 24 right now and there you go. I've been to 27, 28 countries, I think. So if I can just keep that number ahead, then I'll be good yeah. for a while. Yeah. But country. Well, yeah. you're in a good spot for it. You just got to look for new, new <laughs> avenues every year <laughs> to go. Yeah. That's ambitious. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think there's 195 countries in the world. So I, there's more countries you, you than shouldn't run it. Yeah. You probably won't live that long. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Cool. So I guess maybe we didn't fully get into the scope of like how big Word Indeed actually is. Like, so you work there, you're the, I guess, PR guy would be the term you would, what's your mm -hmm. official role, I guess? PR? My official role is public relations yeah. and project development. And I wear two hats, 50-50-50. Gotcha. Yeah. So. 
You got two brims, maybe. Yeah, yeah. sitting yeah. sideways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coolest guy in Word Indeed. <laughs> what, what that does when when you can have two, a lot of people at Word Indeed have both both kind of hats because then you're engaged in the development, mm -hmm. right? And then you're also engaged on the project side, but then you can communicate that. You can bridge that uh, that information gap between what happens there and to people here too. You can share with what the Lord is doing yeah. and what the gospel is doing yeah. um, through our partners. And it's, a, and it's an exciting position to be in. So you're kind of on both, you can see both sides. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. So how many people work at Word Indeed? Like or a couple there, people? Yeah. There's, there's eight of us. Nice. Yeah. I am full time. There's seven of us full time and one part time. And, um, also lots of volunteers help out with Word Indeed and yeah. schools, businesses, donors. Word Indeed yeah. is a collection of all those things. It's yeah. not just the eight staff um, that try to faithfully do their work. So there's hmm. two in the United States and then there's six in Canada. Okay. Six of us. Cool. Yeah. And so during, you know, normal non-COVID times, mm -hmm. would you, uh, like part of your job, I guess, is flying around to manage these projects and kind of check in with the, the locals on the ground and make sure things are running along smoothly? Or like, do you have people do you, who you send there for like a couple months or like, all right, this is your post for a few months, get the locals going and then, you know, report back kind of thing? So we do more of the first, less of the second. Okay. Um, the second being posting people. Longer there. term. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I have the locals to, to work yeah. with. Yeah. But we do um, regular reporting. Yeah. So that means we go there and then we just we sit down with their board. We sit down with their staff. We look at the project. How How's it going? We try to help them strategically think through things. Um, and then also there's the financial side of things too. We go through their finances and, and yeah. assure, do an audit, assure that it's being used well. And um, yeah, it's, it's also to build that relationship. As you work with partners, relationships are very valuable. And so you need to keep growing that as you visit. So that visit maybe looks like two or three weeks, um, once a year, okay. kind of thing, cool. or every every other year, depending on how much work is being done there. But right. yeah, and then my day to day is working a lot on Zoom calls, calling the partners, <laughs> talking to them, yeah. calling others in our staff, that kind of thing. Yeah, neat. Yeah. Cool. yeah so what's uh, one thing we missed? Something we missed. Something that I. I kind of really want to share is for young people. Um, sometimes we talk a lot about these theories of poverty. What is it or what isn't? What a, can we do? I had a transition for this. Dang it. <laughs> I, I was checking my transition again. But go ahead. You're this about to make a good gonna, point. This is going to be what I moved to. Uh, like, if, if this wasn't what you want to identify. What do we mean? I was going to be like, so now, if you could speak to young people, see, but now, what would you like to say? Now Scott identified it. So now it's very important for everybody. Yes. So we're all, hey, we're all thinking on the same path. We're all thinking on the <laughs> yeah. same page. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully those listening are following that same path, but <laughs> <laughs> where are they going with this? Yeah, yeah. What are they saying? <laughs> Scott's going to talk about young people. Go. I, I have a heart for young people and that sounds funny as I'm 24 and maybe not <laughs> considering young but I just, that desire to see the next generation grow up and um, know the gospel for themselves personally, but also care about the spread of, the gospel in words and in deeds all over the world and even acting you know locally in your local position and and thinking globally at the same time acting locally thinking globally 
you know, what can you do for the kingdom of God? And mm. how will you use your life um, for the maximum, you know, glory of God too? Mm-hmm. So I kind of had three, these are three thoughts that keep going through my mind often throughout a day is if you're wondering what you can do for global missions, you can grow your heart for missions, grow your mind for missions, and grow your passion for missions. Grow your heart for missions, your mind for missions, and your passion. Right. So what do each of those mean? What, what does that look like? Um, growing your heart for missions means growing deeper in the word of God, understanding what the kingdom of God is here on earth, but also what it will become in heaven. And seeing the need around the world, you know, seeing the call to love our neighbor, um, growing humble and recognizing the need in this world. So growing your heart as Jesus had compassion on those who he worked with too. Mm -hmm. That it sounds very like you've heard that in Sunday school, maybe, but just look around you and try to put Instagram or Facebook away for a while and explore the world, maybe through video in this COVID time or through books and just to see what God is doing around the world and the need for the gospel and how broken we are as people and how great a savior we have and just grow your heart for missions, grow your mind for missions, read about local, um, local efforts and missions or global efforts, what different missionaries are doing, what mission organizations like word and deed are doing. And then think with discernment on how development can happen. You know, are we creating, are we fostering independence in projects around the world? Growing your mind, how do missions work? How can we do them better? You know, you asked about the indigenous community. So what can we do? Well, take that, take that case study and, and think through it. Do some research on the suicide rates in those communities. And why are they broken? They're broken because they have a, a broken relationship of, of the, their view of self and they're not working and they're not, you know, dive mm-hmm. into that. And so um, use, grow your mind for missions and then finally grow your passion for missions. And that may be taking your skills. Let's say it's videography, taking your, what are your, what are your passions? You know, even chicken farming, you know, you yeah. can use chicken farming for missions, yeah. whatever it is, carpentry, cabinet building, you know, mm-hmm. landscaping, what, how can you use it for missions, whether in, in your time in your talent or your treasure. And so I think there's such an opportunity. We have such an opportunity here in North America with what we've grown up with, the knowledge that we have and mm-hmm. um, how will we use it? Will we bury our talent or will we duplicate it or grow it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally I love man. that. That's like ties into, we don't say our slogan that we came up with for Real Talk enough, but we our goal is to inform and inspire. And that's like, you just described that so well, like just, inform yourself about missions and inspire yourself to go out and and then yeah use your use your talents use your passion to to do that so it's a a great summary totally and on the inspire side of things too like i guess practically like so you you went and obviously did the business degree Mm -hmm. got involved with with word and deed um if word and deed is looking to expand which i mean maybe i guess they are yeah if what's the best kind of route for someone to take if if younger people are listening to this or like yeah, like I would want to do that. And I'm going to listen to Scott's advice and, you know, grow my mind and my heart and my passion. Yeah. Um, but then practically like schooling wise, like is business, is a business degree kind of helpful for the roles that you see were indeed uh, 
you know, putting out and expanding? Or are there other fields of study that would be um, of benefit for you, you mm -hmm. folks at Word and Deed? Mm -hmm. I think there's a perception that we're not all on the front line of missions. That, oh, Scott is a frontline worker for missions, but, you know, we're not. I'm, I'm, we're not. Yeah. Or you guys are not. Yeah. But that is not true. Your business, you know, doing mm -hmm. selling doors or, you know, you working alongside of him, you are on the front line of missions. You have such an opportunity to, let's say you make money and you can, you can use that for God's kingdom. Like that's, I guess, kind of my point is that wherever you are and whatever degree you do get, let's say it's a nursing degree. Yeah. You can go on a medical mission, but also you're in the kingdom of God. If you're caring for a patient in the ER one yep. day mm -hmm. and you care for them with the love of, of Jesus Christ, like you are a part of that kingdom. And so missions can be a misconstrued word sometimes, but to have the heart of Christ is is a mission. And so I mm. think for each one is not going to become a missionary or a mission worker or work for word indeed. Yep. But in a way, we are all on the front line. Yep. Yeah. Well, totally. that's, that's well put because, yeah, I I struggle to see like um, sometimes how how a degree or like how education um, we we typically think of very like a secular thing, like you're going to go to a university. It's not yeah. really governed by, you know, it's not governed by Christians for sure. Um, how do you come out of that? And and I went through a business degree too, and mm -hmm. I thought about similar things. And this is like such an easy path now. I'm like, how would you do it without a business degree? But now, <laughs> but you know, right. you're just one example. Like, yeah, I mean, you said like people think now Scott's on the front lines of missions. Well, you know, how many years ago were you just a, you were a business student. So right you know, you can come at it from anyway, like, and yeah, yeah. Like you said it's, we're all on the front line. So yeah, it's also yeah. just, yeah, I think it's neat to know just for people coming up to like, like you said, like 16, 18, like trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life Yeah, to know that these opportunities exist, um, is, is pretty neat, pretty cool. Like, because mm -hmm. I always, uh, kind of, uh, someone said to me, uh, what was it again? You either work kind of in kingdom work and kingdom service. I mean, everything, again, I agree with your point. Everything is for the gospel. Yeah. But uh, on a more practical level, yeah. you either typically go into a service, kingdom service type job. Like if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, mm -hmm. if you're working in a, in a capacity like you are, or you go into something that like it might not be as explicitly mission related or gospel centric. Like for example, we sell doors. Like mm. that's not, you don't, you know, that's not like, you don't, you don't think, wow, like, you know, John three sixteen. like here's your door handle, like whatever. Sure. Like it's not that, mm. it's not that obvious, but um, you either do something like that where you can make some more money and then support the kingdom efforts. Cause typically people who go into these types of uh, jobs often sacrifice, uh, you know, monetarily like salary wise. Um, do you think that's, a fair assessment in your in your view like is it kind of a binary like that or maybe do i have a do i have a wrong view of that from the scott decor perspective <laughs> from a pra no from a practical perspective i i totally see what you mean what yeah. you mean and part of my weighing you know what do i want to do with, with my life is is that too like could i lay stone and build beautiful interlocked patios for people you know yeah sure i could for the glory of god absolutely um, does it feel like I'm on the front line? Maybe not, but there's, a, you know, like that's the one option or the totally. other option is go into mission work full time. My service and mission work is no, no higher than the landscaper laying block, right? Both of those could have given equal glory to God. Mm. Um, 
And that's one perspective. Yeah. But in, in reality of every day, I hope that the landscaper sees that they are on the front line. That's my point. They so, are actually. Yeah, it's tough they, to see. I know it's hard. Every yeah. day you wake up, oh, I got to lay this driveway. You know, oh, I got to plant this tree. Yeah. That's why you got out of it? Yeah. Or like, oh, I got to teach this classroom of students. But, you know, you're teaching them. Mm-hmm. You, you have such a yeah. job to mold them and, and shape them. Yeah, I, w- I was recently introduced to, I think it's called, I can't remember. It's either, it's Christ. What is it called? Faith, oh, faith driven entrepreneurship. I think it's called. I think it's a it's a YouTube channel, but it's uh, nice. It yeah, it touches on this, and they have like a lot of stories from businesses and how they put Christ first in their business and how that has impacted yeah, um, not just their employees and the people that they work for, but like their communities and everything. So that's uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely one to to look up um, for people. Cool. That's yeah, very business centric, and yeah, um, I was introduced that by my uncle, who's part of Deliberate You, which is like a Christian leadership. Yeah, Darren Bosch, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. So, and even that, that's like their focus is like on, you know, how can we be Christian leaders? So, anyways, sweet. Oh, yeah, we're probably we're running out of time. Here. Time, maybe just I guess to wrap it off, you give a nice, nice pitch, to young people there, but also, um, what's the one thing if you could pick one and older people and older people too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Age I know. I. It was for young, but I have a heart for the young. But anyway, anybody, yeah, yeah. totally. But um, what's what's the one thing you're most excited for um, uh, for Word Indeed in 2021? Looking forward for this year. Ooh. Oh, oh! If you're going to visit another country, I know we're tight for time. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> two minutes go. Yeah, I am um, excited to see how the gospel will reach more people through our partners. I'll give one final story. There was a community of beggars in a country I can't name, but there's a community of beggars there and they lived basically by, um, there are different festivals throughout the year. So there's a Muslim festival for part of the year. Then there's a Hindu festival for part of the year and a Christian festival. Well, at these festivals, these beggars would dress up in the clothing of the religion. Muslim, Hindu, Christian. To get food? To get alms, to get food. Because mm. that's a good a good charitable thing to do, right? Yeah. That's across religions to give to the poor. Yeah. So that's how they would live. Well, COVID-19 came and they could not do that long, no longer because no large gatherings could take place. Hmm. This became a huge opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Because as a Christian partner, we were able to work alongside them and sustain them for their immediate relief. But also start sharing the gospel with them. Mm. This is who you can be in Jesus Christ. You know, you have dignity. You don't have to be beggars to get through um, for life. So this transformed them to a new reality to look beyond their situation now into heaven. And if that's what I'm, that's what I'm most excited about 2021, despite whatever's going to happen, despite how long COVID lockdowns continue, or whether they're lifted, whether here in North America or around the world, is to see how the gospel will continue to unite believers in our communities um, to live a life that glorifies the Lord and transforms communities. So wow. that's a big yeah. vision, but that's the one that that's what I'm looking forward to. Then you're in the right job, <laughs> you're doing yeah. the right work. Amen. That's great. And yeah. I'm looking forward to my first year of marriage 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just congratulations. Got married. Yeah. And I didn't say that at the beginning because um, somehow I got too distracted by missions and stuff. <laughs> your, Man. your wife maybe. Uh, you had the outline and your wife didn't make it on the outline. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. Oh, but maybe boy. You, made the, you made the outline before you were married. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, why. that's that probably why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I saw the ring though. That's it. Yeah. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. She's, she's a yeah. wonderful, wonderful woman. I mean, I'm biased, but she really is. And she's teacher in biology and science and yeah teaching from yeah. online you know online schooling right now but that's okay that's a struggle yeah <laughs> that's good, uh, good all right stuff. well Thank thanks you. for coming on we really thanks appreciate so much. it blessings on yeah you know, all your work and, and your marriages and thanks whatnot for, too yeah so thanks for sharing with everybody i think yeah hopefully this motivates some people and and yeah drives us all to view our lives a little different you know in terms of mission work so all independence yeah. Independence upon the Lord, for sure. Absolutely. And thank you for having real talk. Appreciate it. <laughs> Indeed. All righty. So, catch you next time, folks. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle Reformed Real Talk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Woodover. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.